look at uh, the church this morning as being a place of exhortation, or uh, another word for exhortation would be encouragement, a place for exhortation or encouragement. Now, we're not going to uh, deal, first of all, with, uh, you know, there's a, there's a supernatural component um, to uh, feelings of discouragement. We're, we're not going to deal with those uh, because those generally end up in uh, you know, self-destructive behavior. But we do want to recognize that there's a huge problem in our country of discouragement or, or, or a lack of encouragement. Uh, people get profoundly discouraged when they feel like they don't know uh, who they are, uh, when they feel like they don't know why they are here, when they feel like they don't know what to do next. Uh, people get uh, discouraged when they feel overwhelmed by the circumstances of their life. People get overwhelmed when they face the fact that they really are not in control of their life like they thought they were. Now, such when this becomes chronic, right, when the discouragement becomes chronic, which, which is to say that it doesn't go away and you cannot distract yourself from it, it, uh, it leads to depression. Uh, and an increasing number of young people who are discouraged become depressed. Uh, they are committing suicide. Happens in college campuses, high schools across the country, almost every walk of life because they have become uh, discouraged, they have become uh, chronically uh, disappointed in what has happened in their life. If you're in Hebrews chapter 10, I want you to find verse 22. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 22, we'll read 22 down to verse 25. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now these four verses uh, you know, from the writer of, of Hebrews, it provides for us real solutions to, to the world's problems of discouragement and, and, and depression. Uh, now remember that, that, that discouragement drawn out over a long period of time will lead to depression, and, and, and this, is, this is what people need. They need to be encouraged, and the discouragement and the depression is the result when somebody is not being encouraged. If you want to be encouraged, if you want to be lifted up, if you want to be boosted, if you, if you want to be spiritually invigorated, then according to verse 22, the first thing you need to do is draw near. And this in, in this case, it is you draw near to God. Verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the great privilege of us as believers, the freedom to approach God through the merits of his son, Jesus Christ. If you want to be encouraged, you need to draw near to God. Also, if you want to be encouraged... If you want to be lifted up, if you want to be boosted, if you want to be spiritually invigorated, then you also need to hold fast. 
Now, some people think that when it gets tough for a Christian, the thing we ought to do is to back up or to back away, but that is the wrong thing to do. Biblical Christianity is counterintuitive. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. The harder life gets, the harder you're supposed to press into Christ. Right? If life gets hard, the worst thing for you to do is back away from God, back away from Christ, back away from church, or back away from God's people. Thirdly, if you want to be encouraged, if you want to be lifted up, if you want to be boosted, if you want to be spiritually invigorated, then you will need to consider others and provoke them to love and good works. Verse 24, look at it again. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Now, consider means to, to turn your attention to them. So you have to stop dwelling on how bad you think your life is and look around and ponder your brothers and sisters in church. You need to get your eyes off yourself and look on others. That word provoke in the negative sense the word provoke means to, to, to take a stick and jab people. Okay? Now, next Sunday, don't, don't bring your sticks. Okay? Positively, it means to sharpen, to, to stimulate, to spur on. And that is what we are to do with one another. We are to, to, to stimulate, to spur on, to sharpen one another towards love and good works once we get our eyes off ourselves and start looking around at other people. Now, to be sure, if a person will look upward and draw near to God, then God will draw near to them. That'll be profoundly uplifting. And if a person will hold fast and not retreat and be sure that their spirits will be lifted uh, from the discouragement uh, as, you, as you hold fast to the body of faith that you've always believed. And if you will begin to consider others instead of focusing exclusively on yourself and you provoke one another both to love and to good works, then of course you're going to be enthused. You're going to be lifted up. Your focus is going to be not on you but on others. But you know, there's a difference between knowing what to do and doing it. Between knowing the way and taking the way. Um, between having the opportunity and seizing the opportunity. If you want encouragement, if you want the pattern of feeling defeated to be dispelled, if you want to be invigorated and enthused and encouraged, then you need to immerse yourself in the life of your church. Look at verse 25. It says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. The day approaching, that's the day of the Lord. As, as, as it gets closer and closer for his coming, the more and more we need to be exhorting one another. It is one thing to know to do the commands of verse 22 and 23 and 24. But it is in verse 25 where the context in which these commands will actually be obeyed is shown to us. It's in church where people will actually do what verse 22 and 23 and 24 says to do. I mean, tell me, 
what the writer of Hebrews is referring to if not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together doesn't refer to the gathering of the assembly, meeting together with the church congregation. He's saying don't stop coming to church. Don't stop gathering together to encourage one another. And also tell me what the writer of Hebrews is referring to if, as the manner of some is, is not referring to those who have stopped attending regularly and faithfully. See, as the manner of some is, is a reference to those who used to come to every service but are no longer attending every service and eventually not attending any services. And then tell me what the writer of Hebrews is referring to if, 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 if but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching does not refer to encouraging those in attendance, lifting those up in attendance, boosting those in attendance, coming alongside and helping those in attendance, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now this word exhort is the verb form of the word that our Lord Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit in John 15, 26. There it's translated comforter. The word usually is translated by comfort or comforted. Sometimes it's the uh, beseech, uh, several other words. It means to, to urge strongly, to appeal, to urge, to exhort, to encourage Jot these references down for you to look at a little later. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, Jesus uses the words, he says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 40, Luke describes Peter's preaching. He says, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. In Acts chapter 8, verse 31, the Ethiopian eunuch is urging uh, Philip here, and, and he says, and he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he should come up and sit with him. Same word. We see it in Romans 12.1 where, where Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And we see it again in Romans 16, verse 17, where Paul says, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them that cause division. 2 Corinthians 1.4, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses the word four times in one sentence. It says, uh, speaking of God who, who, who comforts, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Are you noticing a theme here? That when we gather together as God's people, there is to be comforting, there is to be exhorting, there is to be encouraging going on. The word exhorting in its forms are found 104 times in the Greek New Testament. It's an important word. It describes a much needed blessing in every believer's life. And, and, and though God is very capable of, of encouraging and uplifting anyone directly, most of the time, God uses various means to exhort and encourage his children. And the means he most often uses is us to encourage or exhort one another. Some more homework for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I want you to go back and read verses 5 to 16. Okay, it, it's a long passage. We're not going to read it all. 
But Paul gives evidence of, of discouragement in his life because of, of, of some circumstances that have taken a very negative turn. But, but God uses, uh, uses Titus to comfort Paul in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 7, who in turn has been comforted by the Corinthians that Paul is writing to in verse 7. So Paul describes that he and his co-laborers were comforted by the Corinthians' own comfort in verse 13, which results not only in the discouragement of Paul being dispelled, but Paul's rejoicing and bragging on them encouraging him in verses 14 to 16. Look, God typically... Yes, God can do anything he wants to directly, but he uses means most often to accomplish his will. I mean, God is the God of all comfort. He comforted the Corinthians in their congregation. Uh, they in turn comforted Titus. Titus in turn comforted Paul. So according to Paul, the Corinthians exhorted him. The Corinthians encouraged him to the point that he rejoiced in some of the darkest, most dismal, most life-threatening circumstances of his life. And in back of it all was the God of all comfort. Isn't that what you need today? Don't you need to be exhorted? Don't you need to be encouraged? Our writer to the Hebrews pointed out the problem when he called attention to what was happening. For, for one reason or another, people were no longer as faithful to the assembly as they had been or as they ought to be. Perhaps they were going to some worldly activity that provided some, some counterfeit camaraderie instead of, instead of the assembly, instead of the church. Whatever they were doing, the inspired writer warns us not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Instead of bailing out and then diminishing the importance of church attendance and perhaps becoming distracted by other activities the focus needs it should be remaining on church your life should be wrapped up in your church and what you uh, what you should be doing while you're here is exhorting one another loving one another encouraging one another so much more as you see the day approaching I want to draw your attention to four, four kinds of, of encouragement, four kinds of, of exhortation that you find here. Okay, first of all, in, in, in church, there, there is exhortation of community. Now, this, this first point is going to be a devotion inside a sermon. I first gave it at last month's Pastor's Fellowship here in, here, here in town. I rewrote it for a couple of Wednesday nights ago. You're going to get it again. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says it is not good that man should be alone. That is so much more than just getting married to a good husband or good wife. Right? We, were, we were made for community. As we mentioned in that weird discussion in Sunday school about two weeks ago, when God showed Adam all the animals, Adam noticed that he did not have a counterpart. While he had fellowship with God, he had no community. See, isolation is the opposite of one of our created purposes. And bad things can happen when somebody is in isolation. Solitary confinement is often considered torture. 
Inmates who spent significantly more time in solitary confinement tend to have a higher rate of recidivism uh, than inmates that did not or inmates that spent less time than they did. It does something to us to be isolated. We know that there's a lot of suicide in the news. There was that fellow from Lou Giglio's church a, a while back. We know at least 22 veterans a day in their life because they're just hopeless. Suicide is due partly, partly to feelings of isolation, lack of community. Our oldest daughter just finished a double master's in Homeland Security and Disaster Management. She wrote a paper for that final class, and, and it deals with how um, basically lone wolf people, what they call lone, lone wolf people, isolated people, people not affiliated with, with, with anybody, uh, suddenly become terrorists. They didn't see them coming. They weren't on the radar. They just seemed to appear out of nowhere, and then there's a shooting or there's a bombing, right? The primary demographic for that kind of lone wolf terrorist, okay, it is not religion. It is not race. I say race in quotes because there's only one race. It's a human race. But, 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 but you, know, you know what I mean when I say that. The primary demographic is isolation. They, for some reason or another, have become isolated from, from their support group, isolated from their community. Now, this isn't talking about you know, cells. These are lone people. And then at some time in their isolation, there's some event that causes a crisis of some kind. We might call it a crisis of faith, but something causes them in that isolation. It causes them to snap. Then the event takes place like a bombing or a shooting. But it seems that the key factor in that is that they were isolated or they became isolated from a support community. With isolation comes comes depression. And depression can be caused by a variety of factors from, from, from lack of rest to, 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 to chronic pain to, to extensively unmet expectations. I know there, uh, there's a lot of them. Uh, there are many more. Some folks find it difficult to be, uh, to be open with people. Some people find it difficult to, um, to want to be close to people. You know how it goes. Nobody wants to take the boss or the employee fishing because they have to, you know, they think they have to behave all day. You know, who wants to do that? Yeah. You need community. You need to be connected. You have to find it somewhere. Living in isolation will hurt you. Look in Galatians chapter 5. Leave something here in Hebrews. We'll, uh, we'll come back to it. I want you to look in Galatians chapter, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 5. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 3, for if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, 
and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, not in another. Verse 5, for every man shall bear his own burden. See, we, we need community. We need to assemble. We need to be in church. We need both to bear one another's burdens, and from time to time, we need to have our burdens borne by others. In verse 2 of Galatians chapter 6, the burden there is a crushing and overwhelming weight. In verse 5, the burden is a reasonable load, like a backpack, uh, meaning that we all have the load that we have to carry. We're responsible for this load. But when the load becomes crushingly unbearable, it must be divided, and it must be redistributed among our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is our design. That is how we are made to help one another and be helped by one another. God made us this way on purpose. It is not good that man should be alone. You know, we know that wrenches don't make good hammers and cars don't make good boats. That's not what they were designed to do. They function best when used within the design specifications. We were designed for community. We were designed for one another. I want you to go to Ecclesiastes in chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. If you head back and you find Proverbs, you've gone a little too far. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I want you to find verse 9, and we'll read down to verse 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. It says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe unto him that is alone when he falleth for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they shall have heat, but how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Verse 12 says this, this, this threefold cord is not easily broken. That is community. That is camaraderie. That is fellowship. That is burden sharing. Verse 10, that is community. Working together, that is camaraderie. That is fellowship. That is burden sharing. We go together so that if one of us falls, there's somebody there to help. That's what we were designed for. That's what God made us for. But that means then that there has to be a vulnerability, a humbleness, a meekness, a putting aside of our pride so that we can be open enough to let our brothers and sisters in far enough to reach the burden we need help with and so that we can actually reach theirs when they need help. The other side of the coin is there must be an unmitigated trust. There has to be a security to know that what is known won't be spread around and it won't be used against you. So here's the thing. Anyone who talks about other people to you will be talking about you to other people. And there is no way that that is going to build the kind of trust and community at a level that God wants us to have. 
You, know, you know there are some people that just refuse to say anything kind about anybody else, and that is harmful to community. But all that to say this, if you are not connected, you need to get connected. You need to get connected and stay connected. You need to reach out because even if you don't need it, somebody else does. Again, it's our very design. And when you miss church, you miss community that you were created for. Number two, in church there is exhortation to godly example and good works to follow. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul's writing to this young preacher boy uh, named Timothy, and, and he says, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. <coughs> this is Paul's instruction to Timothy to maximize the effect of examples that are set. And I know some people are only good, um, um, I mean, some people can only be a good example of a bad example, right? Okay, we don't want to be there. We want good examples. There are over 30 one another's in the New Testament. Things that we are to do, behaviors we are to exhibit while in community with one another. It just makes sense that we, we have to be around one another if we're going to one another each other the way, shape, or form that we're supposed to. You know, four times we are told to love one another. Two times we are told to comfort or exhort. Twice more we're told to forbear, which means just to put up with. Sometimes all we can do is put up with each other. But that's enough, sometimes. Two times we are told to forgive. Twice we're told to submit to one another. And then at least once we're commanded to do the following to one another. It's to be kindly affection, to prefer, not to judge, to receive, to warmly greet, to care for, to lovingly serve, to bear each other's burdens, to be kind, not to lie to one another, to admonish one another, to think about one another, not to speak evil of one another, to confess our faults to one another, to pray for and be hospitable towards one another. How can you do that if you want around the people that you're supposed to do that towards? You know, it's one thing to tell families to rule their children. It's quite another for a young father to watch one of the older men skillfully deal with their own children. Fathers learn how to be fathers by watching the example of other fathers. It's one thing to tell a young woman to follow the example of Sarah like she did, did with Abraham in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, but it's quite another thing for a, for a young Christian, even a young girl, to actually see what it looks like when a woman is biblically submitted to her husband, delighting in the role of a godly wife and mother. See, those kind of examples, often they're better caught than taught. And where do you find these examples? You're not going to find them at work. You're not going to find them at the gym. You're not going to see them at the game. Ladies, where do you see these examples? You're not going to see them at work. You're not going to see them at the grocery store. You're not going to see them at the mall. Uh, you might see them at home if both parents are godly and submitted to the word of God. 
but most of the time you see this kind of exhortation, this kind of encouragement you see when God's people gather together. Oh, this is what you miss when you miss coming to church. Thirdly, if uh, you'll bear with me for a little bit, there's the exhortation of mutual love and encouragement. Some of this we've touched on already. You know, if you get here early enough and, uh, and watch the women in church here greet each other, uh, it's fun to watch. All right? um, and if you get here you know, so late that, that you don't have time to see that, you don't have time to participate in it, you're really, you're really missing out on, on something. Men, men do it too, but you know, we're you know, not that emotional, and you know, our, our encouragement's like, sup? <laughs> not much, sup with you. Not much. Guys are encouraged, all right? That, that's the way it works. We lie. That's the way we say it works. It, it really doesn't work that way with us. We need more. We're just afraid to, uh, to open up enough to really get it. But the women seem to have it right. That is a ministry of encouragement. And it comes from brothers and sisters in Christ who are real with one another, who genuinely love one another. I mean, where do you find this type of exhortation, this type of encouragement, this love for one another that Jesus commanded us to have in John 13, 34? I mean, yes, there are parallels of this in the armed services and law enforcement, some, some sports teams, business of some kind, but those are really just imitations of the genuine, the real, the living, and the eternal. Remember Paul making mention of the Corinthians comforting, the same words as exhorting uh, Titus, who then exhorted him that resulted in Paul's rejoicing. There's something wrong with someone who is not revitalized, who is not cranked up, who is not exhilarated, who is not in some way quickened, whose spirit doesn't soar just a little bit, whose step does not get just a little more bounce, where the soul is not warmed, where the tender encouragement to simply be here and stay here and remain faithful, that comes from something so simple as a warm greeting when they walk in the door and a concerned goodbye on the way to the car. You have no idea the way that can encourage someone. You need to do that to one another. And I wonder about folks who think that they don't need this kind of mutual encouragement, who, who act like they can do without this much encouragement, who, 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 who denigrate the importance of this kind of mutual encouragement as really that can only be received. When you stay in community, instead they, they just run out to their cars afterwards or they come in late. They miss I need to see the Miller spiritual sensitivity. I need Phil's passion. I need the witness loyalty. I need the Abrams dry wit. All right. I need to see Misty and Sheila's newness in the Lord. Do you not know 
how much I need each of you. I need your encouragement. I need your love and your friendship and your prayers. And you need mine. And you need each other's. To deny that is to deny the very word and authority of God. You don't get it if you're not in church, if you're not connected with your congregation. And oh, what exhortation you deprive yourself of when you step out of church. One more and we're done. In church, there's the exhortation to the Spirit's filling. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul commanded his readers to be filled, completely influenced by the Holy Spirit. And in the following verses, he describes how Spirit-filled Christians behave, how they conduct themselves, how they live their lives. And interestingly, if you look at Colossians 3.16 and, and, and a few verses following that, you'll find the same behavior exhibited by Christians who let the word of Christ dwell in them richly. And that's key, the word of Christ dwell in them richly. It's a wonderful illustration showing that, 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 that a person is filled. You, you are filled with the Spirit if and when you are obeying the word of God. When we gather together and we do what God says do, we are being filled with the Spirit of God. And do you realize what this means? It means that when you do what God tells you to do in his word, and here he's telling you not to forsake the assembling, and when you do it how God tells you to do it, by exhorting one another when you're at church, encouraging each other at church as best you can, then you are filled with the Spirit of God. God's word says so. And since the spirit of God is designed by Jesus himself, I'm sorry, designated by Jesus himself as that other comforter, the the other exhorter, what better way of being encouraged, of receiving exhortation, being spiritually lifted up than by doing that which you absolutely know is God's will. And at the same time shows that you're willing to be submitted to and filled with the Spirit of God. There are profound blessings associated with involvement in and faithfulness to your assembly. You know what people get when they come to church that they miss when they miss church. They miss the exhortation. They miss the encouragement. They miss the uplifting. They miss the community they were created for. I pray this morning that you understand how important it is for you to be here, but not just be here, but to be here. To be interactive with each other. To crawl into each other's lives. To be the encouragement when, when, when you need to be and to get encouraged when you need to be. God has designed that to happen right here. 
What a shame for you to miss it. You don't have to. You just got to be here. Stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Father, once again, we want to thank you for your word. Once again, we want to thank you for its authority. We recognize it. And we pray, Father, that your spirit would work in us to submit us to your word, to your spirit, to your commands. Father, you have created churches to do something in our lives that you could do another way. You just decide not to. You've decided that there's things you're going to do in and through us that you'll only do when we're gathered together or connected to one another in some form or fashion. Father, I pray that we understand how important you have made each of us to one another, that we are a body, we are connected. And when one of us hurts, all of us hurt. When one of us is lifted up, all of us are lifted up. Father, work in us the understanding of our need to be active and connected in your body. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mike, would you come ahead?